Barneys doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show in which we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. My name is Shereen Patek and I'm the managing editor of Glossy. This week's guest, and we're very excited to have him, Bobby Kim, the co-founder of 14-year-old streetwear label, The Hundreds. Welcome to the show, Bobby. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So almost 14 years, it's been quite a journey. What has been um, what has been the biggest change in sort of being in streetwear from today to maybe a decade ago? It's funny because 14 years doesn't seem like the it doesn't seem like it's been that long. You know, it's a teenager. Uh, it is. It's getting and all we, moody our, now. It totally is, and it's funny because our customers now that are coming around the shop or buying the brand or interacting with us on social, they're 14. So they've never known a world without the hundreds where we still perceive our brand and like our story as being a brand new thing. Mm -hmm. Like when I talk about the hundreds, I still explain it as this new project and it's still very experimental and we're figuring things out because we don't know what we're doing and we're just, we're making up the rules as we go along. And so it's funny when I meet a kid who's buying our stuff and he's just like, well, you guys are like this heritage streetwear brand or you you know, you have a legacy like, um, you know, like the brands that we looked up to when we started, like Supreme and Stussy and Jive right. and X-Large, right? So we never really thought of ourselves like that. We're like, no, we're like the scrappy underdog, like the new kids, but we're not. And uh, when, you, when we really do look back on the 14 years, everything has changed, mm-hmm. right? So when we entered the game, the, the internet, no one was really capitalizing on it. And so we were probably one of the flag bearers of that blog generation. I think most people at that time discovered our brand because of my blog and my voice being uh, communicated through through our website. You know, this was pre even social media. So a lot of people tried to experience our brand and understood what streetwear meant from a West Coast perspective by reading our website every day. And that's kind of like where it blew up. Now we have social media and now there's like complete transparency across all brands. But streetwear, especially back then, was this very niche uh, enclave, underground, you know. So it's like this completely clandestine culture. and It's very hard to tap into. And that was part of its appeal, you know. I mean, we... A life over here, you know, you couldn't even find the store. It was hard. It was hard to like figure out even how to like get into that shop, you know, like they had a camera to even allow you into the space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's now everyone has like a giant sign outside and says, come inside or, you know, you know, the owners behind every brand, but that's not how it was back then. And that's kind of why we created this brand to begin with was to crack that open and to share it with a broader audience, which is for good or for bad, always, especially with streetwear. What, and that's a really good point to start with because the one thing that I think, you know, people fall on two sides when it comes to this particular issue who are part of the streetwear community. Either they say, this sucks. I remember the old days when, you know, I'd have to like really hunt for all the clues and I'd have to figure out and, and I couldn't be a kid in... Idaho and be part of this culture unless I went to New York and did all this stuff. And, 
and that sucks because they miss the old times, you know, and, yeah. and they feel like that lent a certain credibility or whatever to to the entire industry. Then there's the other side who are saying, well, actually, we should crack it open. Um, like times have changed. Um, the people you partner with are changing. The people that are industry are changing because it's no longer that underground. I mean, and it still retains this like cool mystique vibe, but it's not an underground thing. I mean, we're, you know, right now we're recording this from... Um, Mercer Street in Soho, New York. And there's V files literally downstairs. And every day they tell you when the drops are going to be. They're going to tell you like what's going to happen. I walk past the Supreme line, you know, pretty much what every two weeks or so. And you already know this. I mean, it's sort of in social media has made that entire culture so open Mm -hmm. and so accessible. You said there's good and bad. Let's talk about the bad first. What, what, how does that affect a brand in the industry? Because you're suddenly yeah. approaching it differently. I mean, right? going back to that point, I think it's okay. I think you can be both. I think you can miss it entirely and think of it as, oh, it's bad how much the culture has changed or even if there is a culture anymore. But more than anything, it's just different. Nothing lasts forever, right? So I, I always compare it to you know, when I was 14, I had... In bleached dreads which was cool for the time and there's a part of me that misses it but we can all agree that we shouldn't bring that back we and all had, agree we had it had a time and a place you know and uh we don't we don't want it you know we there's there's no need to, to see that come back and so that's the thing with streetwear is that that's part of the magic of what it is is that it's constantly evolving it's this narrative that every generation interprets a little differently but at the core of it all it's a graphic t-shirt mm-hmm. right it's a pair of denim it's like it's a certain baseball cap that the structure changes a little bit every third season mm-hmm. but it's the same cap uh the logos just alternate it's different brand owners that jump and start new brands and you know it's just an evolving story so the common thread line of streetwear always exists, right? It's more about the attitude. At the end of the day, it's just cotton that we're making. There's nothing really distinct, even on the high fashion level in what streetwear is doing. It's, you know, there's only so much we can do with the materials. But if we're talking about the attitude and the personality, that's really where streetwear thrives. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I was always drawn to. And I think that's what uh, most of our audience is drawn to us for is that connection with us as personalities and our lifestyle, quote unquote lifestyle, mm-hmm. uh, the culture around our store and um, how I engage and communicate with our audience, right? All those things are what encompass streetwear, but streetwear in itself is almost impossible to, fu- to define, right? Yeah. There's like, there's no way, there's no way you can, you know, compare what I do to what Virgil's doing right now to Jerry Lorenzo, you know, it all looks entirely different, but at the same time, it's all the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, we're all completely mm-hmm. individual. The What bonds us all together is we have an appreciation and affinity for the culture and the history that came before. Right. right? History, is, history is a good point. Because, um, I mean, you know, Louis Vuitton, you know, now working with Supreme. And streetwear's yeah. sort of relationship with supposed high fashion is not a new thing, right? Like, we were talking no. about this earlier, but, you know, Raph Simon's design, Stan Smith's, like, what, 2007? Um, yeah. There were, I mean, there's a long history of these two supposedly uh, at odds worlds. And right. this is completely supposedly, right? Because streetwear is not exactly, I mean, we're not talking, like, oh, streetwear versus the runway. I mean, these two, two right. things have collaborated for a long time. But a lot of people are talking about now, well, you know, Vetmon is going to be the thing that makes this bubble burst. You know, this is just mm. never going to work. 
how can those two sort of reconcile themselves, especially as the consumer base is growing wider and wider? So now if you can have everybody from people who only buy, you know, couture now getting into streetwear to Neiman Marcus now carrying streetwear. So the Upper East Side moms are now doing streetwear. And on the cool kids downstairs, I see at V-Files are really into streetwear. Um, How does that change in consumer base impact you as a creator for a brand? Um, Okay, so... Streetwear and high fashion, fashion or whatever you want to call it, they have a very incestuous relationship. It's symbiotic, but at the same time, they respond and repel against each other, right? They kind of need each other in a way. They're yin and yang, Hmm. but they're opposites. I think that relationship goes all the way back to whatever you consider to be the genesis of streetwear. I always call back to what Sean Stussy was doing starting in 1980 as a surf brand, you know, and Sean himself, I don't think would ever even consider himself as the pioneer or even within the category of what streetwear is doing. He's a, he's really a surfboard right. shaper and designer out of Orange County. But what he was doing was fusing cultures. He was taking that beach culture of Southern California mm-hmm. and juxtaposing it with graffiti and gang culture hip-hop culture really out of los angeles and uh he wasn't the first to do that either right craig stesic uh shoff shoff these surf guys were already starting to hybridize these different cultures and different worlds and we're talking about different classes and ethnic groups as well and that bled into what stussy started to do with high fashion he took the chanel c's and he made them s's mm-hmm. so that's the first time that you really saw high fashion and streetwear have a dialogue mm-hmm. and that never stopped right that's the stussy um, i'm sorry the supreme louis vuitton collaboration you're seeing now the first hints of that started popping up in the late 90s early 2000s supreme was doing a lot of Louis LV rips. So was Stussy. So were we when we first started. Nike, uh, you know, kids were taking Louis, v- Louis V bags, ripping them up, putting them on their swooshes. So there's always been a little bit of this flirtation between but both that's on, and markets. that's true because that's on, you know, that's on the consumer side because there's obviously yeah. an there's an equal obsession with the Louis Vuitton brand or the Chanel brand or whichever brand it is yeah. because it's so much part of our culture as well. And if you're already in a different culture, there's always a need to kind of mix those Yeah, two like when I was a kid, you know, I didn't ha- and come from, you know, I didn't have the ability to afford you know, an LV bag or anything that was uh, luxury, right? So, but I could buy the knockoffs or like I could flip the logo and make it look like a hundred or something like that. So it was just like, yeah, I'm down with that. I understand it. I just can't afford it yet. Yeah. Right. We're in an era now where kids can actually start, kids can actually afford it because they just, they're figuring out their hustle. So, you know, their, their taste level is starting to move up mm-hmm. in, in terms of price bracket because they have the ability, they have the means now to buy this stuff. They're not spending money on whatever cds or video games the way that we were you know so they're saving up or they're just flipping this stuff that's a whole different thing that we can talk about but most of the kids who are even participating in streetwear and street culture now they're actually not buying it for themselves they're buying it to resell it's an entire economy so it's a hustle 
you know, when we were starting off going back to the differences between when we started and what's happening now, when we started off, it really wasn't about making money at all. There was no money to be made. The sneaker reselling market was just getting because off the ground. you weren't talking about the crazy prices that, you know, these things are now commanding. And also there no. wasn't the, the infrastructure, like the Amazon infrastructure that was basically built for something. like There was no eBay. infrastructure. There was eBay, right? There was eBay and PayPal, but... Beyond that, there was no way to even really resell or to reach a base. There wasn't enough of us. Streetwear was so small. So if you participated in it, it wasn't about making money. It was just about really participating in the culture. That's why we got involved. There was no real grand scheme of we're going to turn this into a multi-million dollar business. It was just, I want to play with the big dogs. Yeah, these big kids dogs. today are just little businessmen no, and they, women. No, they totally are. Like that's part, that's part of the cool culture, right? This entrepreneurial spirit. And, uh, you know, I'm partially to blame for that. A lot of the brands and designers within our generation are responsible for that because I think we inspired and influenced a generation of youth to say, hey, look, I want to build my own brand. I want to be able to hustle. I want to travel the world like these guys. And the barrier to entry in streetwear is very low. Hmm. You know, to be able to print a t-shirt, it only takes a few hundred bucks to, ca- to handle the minimums on something like that. You know, that's why we got involved too. Look, it's very easy to design Photoshop, Illustrator. You can rip those programs. You can print a shirt a few hundred bucks. All of a sudden, you have a brand to post in the bio of your social media. Now you're up and running, right? Like what other business can you do that and really gain worldwide exposure and fame like overnight? Right. right? And you've got Instagram, so you're really able to bring that message out. Yeah, you have Instagram, Snapchat. You have all these platforms Mm -hmm. to amplify your voice. Mm We didn't have that. We had the blog and there was really no way to find out about the blog unless it was just you told a friend and a friend told a friend, right? Basically, it was either you're in the know or you're not in the know because yeah. if you're not in the circles where your friends tell you about this kind of stuff, then yeah. you just... you And that's what made it that like, well, either you have the cred or you don't have that's the cred. That's what right? made it really fun back then because yeah. if you saw... Uh, and I, I always bring up this example of like a Supreme cap or Supreme box hoodie, but back when we started... It was just different. If you saw someone wearing that, there was a great, great chance that if you walked up to them and talked to them, they were doing something very interesting and were at a very high level in whatever field they were as an artist or a movie producer or an author or something. They were because they were just in a different level of knowledge and accessibility to understand even where that store was or they'd shot, traveled to Japan and found a store in Harajuku or they had done something like that, right? Yeah. There was no internet to find out about it. Like you really had to know. And it was very, it was very rare that you saw someone. So it was this cool secret handshake mm-hmm. to see someone wearing that or A-Life or Sir, like these New York guys, like in these small shops peddling only like a few sweatshirts at a time. So like there was something really cool and like, magic charming about that you know we don't have that so much anymore it was so exclusive that it wasn't it's not exclusivity the way like you almost think about it today and i think that generation thinks about it now which is exclusive because it's expensive it was exclusive because right it just wasn't there it, it, i mean you're you could right, not yeah. get your hands on this yeah. stuff even if you tried unless you really worked for this yeah. right even if you found it that assume that the guy behind the guy or the girl behind the counter would sell it to you there were two times where I traveled all the way to New York in college. I saved up all my money, okay. made it out to New York for a few days. I'm going to go shop at A-Life. I've been following this brand and the store through Mass Appeal, a print magazine, and then walking into the store and seeing the shirt that I want behind the counter and the girls looking at me like, she didn't even try looking. She's like, we don't have your size because she didn't like 
how I looked or what she I was didn't wearing. Think or you... She just assumed I was probably a Japanese. Right. She probably assumed I was a Japanese reseller at the time, you know? So she's yeah. just like, no, we don't have your size. And I'm like, aren't you even going to go? Low? She's like, no, we don't have your size. But that was very common. That was a part of it. And as a kid, I think there's, you know, you're very attracted to that in, in a certain way because it's like the cool kid that's punking you all the time. So when they finally give you the pass, you feel like you're really special. Like you want to be special. It. I'm an old, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit older now. And so I realize how ridiculous and abusive <laughs> that is. And we started our brand as a response to that attitude. Our brand is more inclusive than exclusive. But that's what streetwear was built off of. And we are at an opposite end of the pendulum now. And again, it's not good or bad. It's just different. The stories evolve. That story is like the streetwear version of Julia Roberts walking into yeah. Rodeo Drive and not being sold, that yeah. thing. And then she goes back. That's I'm imagining she goes sort of back. going back. Like, she goes oh. back and she wants it more. And then when she's wearing it and adopting it, then she feels like, okay, now I can punk other people. Or I could flex on other exactly. people, right? Like, that's the point. You you mentioned, you know, you started the hundreds as a way to change that conversation a little bit, be inclusive. Um, and I think sort of, you know, you just launched Jennifer, and I want to talk about that a little bit because I think that's a big part of sort of streetwear's increasing inclusivity in that way. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Jennifer a little bit. Give us a little bit of background. Sure. So here's a seg. The, the hundreds, when we started it, Streetwear was also very cool because for men, there was not much to offer the young kind of cool culture discerning kid that uh, wasn't considered like feminine, right? So at that time, if a guy was into clothes or fashion or into design, there was a pejorative term for it. There was They were called metrosexual. I think a lot of people forget this, that it was really strange and exotic for a, a dude a straight guy to be into his clothes or into his shoes it's like sneakers kind of opened the door for that right mm -hmm. because it was like oh i'm not into clothes man but like i love <laughs> shoes like I, I collect them like baseball cards it's like right. not like you know like my girlfriend's shoe collect but really it was the same thing it was just like we have this appreciation for product and we want to look cool and we want to impress not girls streetwear and sneakers was about impressing other dudes right so when we started the brand, there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of women around us who were asking, why don't you make the hundreds women's like why, you know, uh, this it's almost sexist. Well, I was just like, well, look at, at that time, most of fashion was dedicated to women. So this is a way to kind of turn the tables a bit. And I just want to make something that's just for guys. Like we don't really have much and I want to cater to them and make them feel special. We're in a different time and age now is, you know, 14 years later and it's very acceptable, socially acceptable for dudes to be into fashion, whether, you know, whatever their sexual preference. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm looking at streetwear now and going like, look, that the, the playing field has been leveled, uh, except now women are attracted to men's streetwear and wearing it because it's very trendy. And this has always been the case where women can adopt and wear their boyfriends or husbands clothes the boyfriend and jeans and you see it in different parts of the fashion world with sort of the rise of menswear or like that kind of aesthetic with the yeah. tapered pants and you know you wear the suit jacket but you give it that feminine flair and all that yeah exactly mm -hmm. but why can't it go the other way like why can't there be a women's article of clothing that men truly covet and can wear and pull off it doesn't look weird but you know it's very much a woman's article of clothing, right? Or it's a woman's brand or it stands for women or it empowers women. 
Why can't that exist out there? Especially coming from a streetwear perspective that has not been the kindest to women in its history, right? We've pre- predominantly shut out women. We've, we've shut out their voice. We've treated them as graphics for t-shirts and sexualized imagery. I'm very much guilty of this. I still do it sometimes, right? I'm still like not totally conscious that I'm objectifying women in a certain way and using them not really so much for their story or for their their voice, but more just for the image of who they are. So And this comes that, from that history part of streetwear that, you know, in some ways was incredible and amazing and very few people know about it. But right. it's like historically ingrained because if you were, you know, following those brands back in the eighties, the nineties, you saw this happen. And so if you're a creator today or even a young kid today starting that thing, you're still looking at those images and yeah. thinking of this like line of history. Still thinking honestly. of like it's this boys' club, right? It's always like especially, you know, when we started our brand in our office, it really felt like a mechanics shop. It was just like the language and the and it was know, all men. Are, it's all dudes, you know, and it's still like we have women working in our company, but there's not enough women applying even. Right. So there's not even enough women to hire. That's all starting to change. Right. There's because women are now being more uh, interested in, in men's streetwear. So now there's an influx of women who are conscious of what's going on. Supreme Louis Vuitton is going to help that. You know, there's a lot of reasons why women are, are, are uh, I guess, getting more exposed to what men's streetwear is doing. So I just wanted to offer something for women that was theirs, that they could hold over their boyfriends or the guys when they're in their scene and say, like, this is meant for us. Hmm. You know, you can't have it. You want it. And if you want it, you're going to have to borrow it from me. Right. Just like the way that guys do with their yeah. cool hoodie or their cool hat or whatever. And the girl's like, oh, this is like a cool like guy yeah. thing. It's like, no, 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 let's make something for you. Why doesn't that exist? And it's it's more just about telling this message right now, right? It's right. just like, let's flip that and see what that looks like. That was really the genesis and and why I wanted to When did to you start that. thinking about this? I started thinking about it a year and a half ago. Okay. Okay, so... Uh, in the middle of the race, I think, in terms of the presidential right. race, right. I, I think it started coming up a lot, thinking about, oh, Hillary could potentially be our president, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking about Trump could potentially be our president and what that what this world is, what this world would look like uh, potentially as like an American woman or yeah. a woman living anywhere in the world right now. I don't have daughters. I have two sons. Um, I think my wife and I are going to stop it there. You know, <laughs> we're pretty exhausted at this point. But if I, I often think about not only look, what would my what would it be like if I were the father of a daughter right now, what she would have to go through and then also raising two boys responsibly and and and, uh, you know, shaping their worldview of what it means to be a woman today. Right. So these are also all things that as I'm raising them and I'm speaking to them about women and what it's like to be a woman and talk to your mom about this, ask her about that that's where a lot of Jennifer came to play too, you know? So, um, was it different or was, was it different to design for it? Was it difficult to sort I'm of not design a, for it? I'm not like a crazy fashion designer. No, That's, that's the other, that's the other thing with me and streetwear <laughs> and fashion is that I think it's very cool what's happening with streetwear and, and fashion. Um, but I'm not really that interested in fashion. I've ne- it's there's always been a disconnect, and and I love streetwear because it really is what kids wear on the street. You know, I drive down through this downtown, and there's like kids on their skateboards wearing t-shirts, and they're torn up. Like 
that's cool to me. Like, I don't really understand the elevated, you know, almost inaccessible <laughs> fashion price-wise or whatnot. So I don't know really how to design for women outside of this is my best attempt at like, I think this looks good. Versus I like think a, nothing beyond, obviously the cut, but other than that, there isn't this like this mystery. No, there's not like this insane strategy to it. Sure. Look, it's the same way that I design clothing for men. I think dudes look good when they're wearing my clothes. Like I've designed it a specific way. I think I know enough about design to make sure like the fit is there and the structure mm -hmm. and the cut and everything like that. But with women, I think women are the most beautiful when they're the most confident. Always, right? Like regardless of their age. I think confidence comes from being comfortable. Let's create a brand that women just feel comfortable in and it's cool to wear it because of the message and the narrative it's attached to. Mm -hmm. That's what Jennifer is, right? It's not about like, I don't know the most slimming cut and I haven't figured out all the angles to make their butt look good or whatever. <laughs> like, it's not about that for me because also that type of design in my sense as a dude has always seemed to appeal more to me, like as a guy for a woman to look a certain way when I'm like, well, shouldn't she just care about like being cool with her instead right. of like a guy designing her clothes to make her look all sexy for me? Like, Which is the why? exact same way, you know, streetwear for men evolved because it was other dudes giving exactly. it the stamp of It wasn't women. I mean, no, no women were sitting a, there thinking like, yeah. oh, cool, ripped up jeans and, you know, totally. hoodie. I think dude. that's like, absolutely right. And yeah. I, you, you're, you hit it on the head. Mm -hmm. That's where, yeah, that's the streetwear attitude also. It's not about... Like, I, I know, like, a lot. I was out with a friend last night, and she's just like, oh, my God, like, you're so sloppy. I was wearing, like, baggy dickies, and I'm like, I don't dress to impress you or, like, anybody else. I really just dress to, like, be com I'm comfortable, and sure. I feel good But if like you walk this. down, you know, Soho, and you see there is that, like, spark of recognition with yeah. another dude, and it's going to be like, all right, that guy's in the know. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we want for Jennifer as well, right? Like, let's Why did just you make call it confident. Jennifer. Jennifer, okay, so there's a few different reasons for that. Jennifer, for, for 14 years straight from 1970 to 1984, was the number one name chosen for women. I don't know why. It's crazy. It's a weird phenomenon. It just stopped dead in 1984. So I grew up with a generation of Jennifers. And if you grew up anywhere within that time period, you either knew Jennifer, you were a Jennifer, you hated a Jennifer, you <laughs> fell in love with Jennifer, right? All the actresses, we like there's an actress somewhere in your mind that... You love as a Jennifer, right? It's right. for me. It's Jennifer Connelly, okay. but there's like Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Lopez, and Jennifer Hudson. So it it it's like all types of Jennifers. We grew up with a generation of Jennifers. It was important for me to use that word on the sweatshirt so that people understood this is clearly demarcated as something for women. It's a women's brand. If a guy decides to wear and is borrowing, you know, he wakes up, you know, his girls, you know, off to work. And her sweatshirt's there in the bed, like he's gonna throw it on, and he walks out the house. Like people are like, "You're wearing your girlfriend's or your wife's right. sweatshirt." And for people right who now. haven't That's seen it, it says Jennifer very obviously it's right very on the front. Obviously, yeah. on it lines the hood of the sweatshirt. I call it the girlfriend hoodie, as opposed to the boyfriend, boyfriend jeans, jeans, right? Like that's your girlfriend's hoodie yeah. and you're wearing it. It's just like, yeah, that's totally cool. It's not meant for me, but like I'm just wearing it right now because I think it's really cool. And I'm seeing a lot of dudes that are buying it, right? Cool. A lot of our customers are like, 
oh, am I, are you buying it for your girlfriend or your wife? It's like, no, I'm buying it for myself. Like, I want to be down. Yeah. And they'll complain about the cut because it's really meant for a woman, right? Like, the sleeves are a little bit shorter. It looks like it could be a dude's hoodie, but the sleeves are a little short. Like, the, the weight of the fabric is very is lighter than what we use for the hundreds or for our typical men's brand stuff, right? So it's really comfortable. It's focused on being really soft. And again, like, I just want a woman to be able to lounge around the house in it. It's not really me- meant to, like, look cool and, like, gigantic logo and stuff like that. I want to I talk a little bit. I mean, this is right, you know, off your experience with Jennifer. And the relationship of athleisure to streetwear is really interesting to dissect a little bit because – it's got the sort of the rise of athleisure came, you know, if you look at like sociological, you know, supposed explanations for it, you know, there was a growing number of people who now work from home, mm. a sort of relaxing of dress codes in offices, which meant, you know, people don't have to dress up to go to work anymore. Um, so uh, both of those things in some ways contributed to this rise of comfort over, you know, being supposedly sharp and formal, com- yeah, right? and formal, yeah. exactly. And being sharply dressed didn't have to mean you had to wear a suit. You yeah. can wear, you know, cool leggings and a hoodie and still be really well dressed but at the same time sort of a lot of people in the streetwear industry you know actively rail against sort of them being anywhere associated with athleisure which is a really interesting kind of Hmm. thing to me because they're obvious there's there's, right synergies right what i think you called it yeah i think you said you know like like you said it's like luxury and streetwear to me streetwear and athleisure have obvious relationship Mm -hmm. and yet and i wonder how much of that is in in, you know i'd love to know a little bit about the if it's the history of streetwear that contributes to this because there is this necessary otherism with streetwear like we're not like the others we have to be different um are you against if if I said, hey, it's basically athleisure, right? The hundreds, basically, is it, would that be something that you're against? Would that be something that you just sort of don't identify with? How do those two trends intersect? Uh, I've never, you know, that's the first time I've never heard that before, mm-hmm. right? I've I've never even considered that. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're not far off base. Look, like streetwear, the aesthetic of it, it stems from sportswear, right? It's Rocky's uh, hoodie, right? Rocky is the one who popularized the hooded sweatshirt, like. That is one of the common denominators of what a streetwear brand looks like, right? That is also that was he that dude was running up a flight of stairs when he was wearing that sweatshirt. So, um, as far as aesthetics are concerned, yeah, they can be almost synonymous. They can be often even easily often confused with each other. I think maybe, and I I don't know exactly where that that pushback stems from, but. I think within the streetwear world still, it's still very male-driven and male-dominant. And this connotation of athleisure typically brings up like a soccer mom, like suburban soccer mom going to her yoga class. Sort of the Lululemon TNA. Lululemon is like, right? perfect athleisure brand. Is the the athleisure brand. And there's, uh, it's very far from like, the hip hop, the culture, the attitude of what streetwear kids think of streetwear as, right? right? So aesthetically, again, it's all the same clothes, but we're just looking at like different personalities and perspectives on like what it represents. I I don't think a a 16 year old kid carrying his skateboard (laughs) would want to believe that you know, his cool bathing ape hoodie is in the same ilk as Well, Lululemon. you better start believing it because yeah. now that they carry, you know, Kith at Neiman Marcus, yeah, um, all we're the getting lines there. Are, <laughs> all the lines are blurred. And it's just setting up, and it, going back to your initial question about is it good or is it bad, you know, 
as everything is becomes oversaturated and commercially blown out. High fashion and streetwear does this every 10 years. You people just forget. And whenever it blows out on this level, it's great in terms of it create it makes a lot of people money at the top, but then it also opens up the gates for a whole new generation to move in and respond against that. There's so there's so many kids right now, young people that are watching what's happening with Supreme Louis Vuitton, watching the runways with streetwear on in the high fashion circuit and saying, fuck this. Like, I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, but they're like, this is they're there's they're they're angry about what's going on. That doesn't speak to them at all, right? They don't people at the end of the day, they don't want to feel like they're being shut out of their own culture and interest Or that level. they're almost, and almost in some ways, Louis Vuitton is just so big that it's, it's almost like they're going to subsume you because the whole idea was that, well, you were a subculture, even if you were a really big subculture. Totally. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to be a part of what everyone else is doing when you're a streetwear person. You want to feel special and unique. That's, that's why you get into it. You don't want to be wearing what everyone else is wearing. It comes to a point where if a brand is ubiquitous or a designer is ubiquitous, you know, you have to respond against that somehow to feel like you stand out from the crowd. Absolutely. You know, that's what streetwear is about. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being no on problem. the Glossy thank Podcast. You. Thank you. We were so excited to have you. And thanks to you for listening. We're on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher. And we'll be back next week with another episode. <laughs> <laughs>